0: Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. As tempting as it is to preach on the images that Jesus gives us in the gospel today about the kingdom of God. I'm going to swim with the sharks and go to Ephesians 5, the first reading we have today. Because there are a few passages in Scripture that cause greater fear in preachers than this one that we have from Ephesians 5, from Paul uh, giving his instruction to the church in Ephesus. His words, wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. They should be subordinate in everything. few passages cause more bristling, I think. Than this one does. There's a lot of elbowing often that happens. I'm not going to get into it. But in fact, when I was at my first assignment, I was preaching on this. This came up in the cycle of readings, and I was like, I'm going for it. And I was preaching on Ephesians 5, unpacking it, all those things. And uh, I thought it landed. I thought, you know, it was, uh, I thought it was a decent homily. And afterwards, I'm outside greeting folks as they're coming out of church after mass. And this lady makes this beeline for me. I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. And uh, she's like, Father, Listen, she's like, you should be ashamed of yourself for allowing that to be read in church. And then she said to me, and I quote, hand to God, this is what she said. She goes, you have got to get that out of the Bible. It's like, lady, that's above my pay grade. Uh, yeah, I'd never saw her again. Anyway, all right, so let's dig into this. St. John Paul II, when, he, when he's reflecting on Ephesians chapter 5, this exact section from Paul's letter, he said that what Paul gives us here is a distillation, a a summa, a summation, if you will, of the entire biblical revelation. It summarizes, he says, it summarizes what God wished above all to transmit to mankind in his word. That's a heavy, that's an incredible statement. That's an incredibly compelling statement that what we just heard in Ephesians 5 is a thesis statement, a distillation. It's the The gold nugget that reveals everything essentially that God wished to communicate to us by his word which is so interesting right because you have this pope saying this he's pointing to this passage saying that this is so important and then on the other hand you have the world and the culture who hears this section from Paul's letter and they sneer and they say you've got to get that out of the bible okay so what is he seeing that most Christians are not seeing? What is he hearing that most Christians are not hearing? Why, why is this such a significant, uh, why is this such a significant section of the Scripture, the New Testament? Well, here's the first pip, uh, principle of biblical interpretation: read the text in context. Seems very important, but most people don't do that. It's significant that Ephesians chapter 4 comes before Ephesians chapter 5, because in Ephesians chapter 4, you have Paul exhorting the new Christians to live the new life given to them by grace in Christ. Like he's saying, Christians must no longer live as the Gentiles do. He's making this distinction. Christians, do not live any longer as the Gentiles do, for he says, they are corrupted in their understanding because of their hardness of heart. And the deceit of lustful passions. Here's St. Paul. He's just drawing right from the teaching of Jesus, Jesus from Matthew's gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, where he says it's hardness of heart and lust that corrupts the marriage relationship. In other words, like Paul says, he's saying put on the mind of Christ created after the original likeness of God. Like, he, he's just following Christ. He's just, he's just continuing the teaching of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. He's saying we have to go back. In order to understand the proper relationship between man and woman, you have to go back to the beginning, right? To the original plan. This is why Paul, just like Jesus, quotes Genesis 1 and 2 before the fall. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Like, Paul is not justifying the sinful domination of men over women. He's doing something revolutionary. Like, Paul is calling us back through the power of the cross, through the power of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the grace that comes to us through that to live the original meaning of the body, to to live, again, the original meaning of sexuality. Like, before hardness of heart entered in, before lust entered in, He's saying, by the power of the cross, we can actually have access to that again. That's what Jesus came to give us. You must no longer live, he says, as the Gentiles do, or act as the Gentiles do, or relate to each other as the Gentiles do. He's pointing to Christ as the ultimate reference point. He's saying, look to him. He shows the way. He shows us. What our human embodiment is meant for, it's meant for self-gift, it's meant for love, it's meant to, for self-surrender unto death. And he unfolds this as it relates to husbands and to wives right here, right? As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands. Now let's look for a second at this word submission, or other translations will be um, subordinate, right? Submissio. Beneath the mission of, or subordinis beneath the order of, submissio, beneath the mission of. What's the mission of the husband? It says, husbands, treat your wives like doormats. I'm sorry, that's the wrong. uh, No, it says this. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. What did that look like? By giving up his body for her unto death. Like what Paul is saying here when he says husbands love your wives, what he's meaning here, like as Christ loved the church, when he's saying to wives, wives be submissive to your husbands, be subordinate to your husbands, he's saying wives allow your husbands to serve you unto death. Like imagine like if, Speaking to the ladies, imagine if you were married to a man who would be more willing to die a bloody, gruesome death than ever violate your dignity. Like, I don't know a woman who doesn't want that. Like, that's what Paul is calling husbands to in Ephesians 5. Wives, let yourselves be loved in this way. The problem is, if we think of the relationship, if we think of, and we can't help but think of it because of the historical context we live in, but if we think of the relationship between man and women through the lens of power struggle, which is how we've been taught to view these things for the last oh, 100 years or so, we'll never grasp this. Like this struggle is to learn how to love in the image and likeness of God, to put death to put to death selfishness. Like Saint Paul calls all of this, he calls this the great mystery, the musterion mega in the Greek. It's what God did in the beginning by creating us male and female in the beginning and calling the two to become one flesh. All of that was a sign that was pointing ahead to relationship between Christ and the church. Like the reason why we call Good Friday Good Friday, the reason why we have the audacity to say that, is because the self-offering of the Lord upon the cross The earliest Christians saw through the lens of this mystery. This is a bridegroom offering up his body and blood for his bride, right? And just like the first Adam when he was asleep, God pulls forth from his side the bride, right, Eve? The new Adam, asleep in death on the cross, has his side lanced by the soldier and out comes blood and water, which the earliest Christians saw as symbolic of the two great sacraments which constitute the church. Baptism and Eucharist, flowing forth from Christ's side, wounded on the cross, is the bride. All of this, this is how the church has understood all of these mysteries, right? The catechism says the entire Christian life bears the mark of the spousal love of Christ in the church. If this is the lens, if this is the lens by which we are meant to see and understand our faith, doesn't it make sense that the enemy would most attack and distort the relationship between masculinity and femininity? If marriage is the decoder ring that unlocks the deep mysteries of our faith, doesn't it make sense that the enemy would try and warp that reality? Welcome to our world. Friends, in this great mystery that we celebrate in this Mass, may we have hearts again that are opened to receive the incredible gift of the Bridegroom who is here. Amen.